Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Daily Covfefe live version uh, on Fridays. Uh, today is what? I don't even know what day it is. October 25th, Friday, October 25th. I'm your host, Carter Laren, and I'm joined by a guest host today, special guest host, uh, Gracie West. Hey, Gracie. Uh oh, wait. We did. We muted Gracie. Let me unmute. Oh, her. sorry. <laughs> Hi, Carter. How you doing? Good. How are you? Doing all right. Thank you for being available to fill in, uh, in the absence of Carrie. Absolutely happy to be here. I think people love talking to you because you have such a deep knowledge of social justice and uh, the history and where the ideas came from and all that stuff. I love I love talking to you about it. So. Um, well, I'm glad that it's useful for something. Yeah, see? All that college debt, totally worth it. Yeah. <laughs> now you can talk intelligently on YouTube channels. And that's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, by the way, to everyone who's been supporting us, thank you so much. We've been getting more Subscribestar subscribers lately and uh, a couple donations through Subscribestar. So thank you. Please continue to do that. Uh, we would like to actually be able to continue the show. Uh, and we can only do that with support. So I don't know. I got a bunch of stuff on my plate. Uh, so generally the way this works, Gracie, I know you haven't hosted a Friday live thing. Usually we just kind of talk about stuff that was left over from the week. Um, people will filter into chat eventually. They're probably surprised that we started on time. Yeah. Today, so <laughs> they will filter into chat and give us some suggestions usually. Um, but in the meantime, uh, we can kind of talk about whatever we want. I've got a few things teed up, but uh, what's on here? What would you, what do you see this week that needs to be chatted, needs to be discussed? Well, it's pretty amazing that they keep giving us so much content to work with. Uh, you and I were sort of texting back and forth and I was like, I feel like we can't keep up on satire. They keep doing things that are so ridiculous that my alter ego can't even catch up with satire. They do it before I do it. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like this week, for example, what was it? What college was that? Oxford decided that you, the students voted that nobody can clap at graduation because it might trigger someone's trauma. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, you can't make this stuff up and you try. I try. Yeah, that's one that I I feel like, we, we yeah, I couldn't have made up. I looked up one of these, you know how the fact, not all of them, but a lot of fact checking sites are are leftist leaning. Yeah. So I looked up the facts checking sites and they're like, this is a completely false thing. And, but then they referenced the article in the Oxford student paper, which I went and read. It's not it's not a completely false thing. <laughs> the mm. first student council meeting of the academic year passed the motion to mandate to mandate the sabbatical officers to encourage the use of British Sign Language clapping, otherwise known as JADS hands at student council meetings and other official student union events. So <laughs> They mandated the professors to suggest it? Yes. Oh. <laughs> I guess you can't mandate clapping and not clap. Like, you can't arrest people for clapping. Well, not yet. But, but yeah, I would say that this is pretty much accurate. I guess I guess the headlines that said they banned it is, are, are technically wrong, but the gist of it is correct. Like, yeah, they did. They outright said, and, and by the way, the reason they gave... Uh, Jazz hands were used by the National Union of Students since loud noises, including whooping and traditional applause, are argued to, are argued to, that's a great phrase, uh, you can argue anything, are argued to present an access issue, <laughs> an yeah. access issue for some disabled students who have anxiety disorders. 
mm. sensory sensitivity and oh. are those who use hearing impairment aids. So that's so annoying. I mean, I, this I got into a fight with a friend on Facebook about this and she is my moderate friend. She's like the one friend I have that claims to be moderate. And uh, <laughs> otherwise I've got this far left group and this, well, the ones that are verbal anyway, are pretty far right. I mean, they're not like far right in the, in the, in the sense that the, you know, leftist SJWs mean it. Like they're not, what do you call that? White supremacists. They're not white supremacists or anything. Right. Yet. Yeah. So, but they're either, they're on the right pretty far over. And, uh, and then I've got these leftists. And so those people, whenever I post anything, they just fight with each other. And it's like not worth posting things on Facebook much. But so I try to block the really extreme people because it's, it's no fun to play anymore. And, but then, yeah, I post in this sort of middle of the road person, she starts arguing with me about why this is a good idea. And I was like, we're screwed. If you call yourself middle, we're just all, we're all screwed. Uh, yeah. I mean, I also, I just, I imagine these kids graduating from college and it's like, if, if college is supposed to prepare them for the real, real world in any way, uh, this is the opposite of what they should be doing. You're going to have to endure clapping, even if you have an anxiety disorder. Uh, right. If you go to an event where there's lots of people, they will clap. Right. And if college Sound is not part of the world. Well, and if college is not there to prepare you for the real world, what is it there for? Right. I think we know the answer. <laughs> Indoctrination. Yes. It's um, there so... to make sure that you're a good comrade when the time comes. Right. So, I posted this on my page and I said, and this is why we call them snowflakes. Elite college kids are the most fragile human beings on the planet. Clapping banned. And uh, she commented saying, except if you actually read the reasons, clapping and excessive noise are actually triggers for most, for many with special needs. It has been done before at high school graduations when there are kids who cannot handle the noise. I find it rather unfair to determine they are snowflakes because they wish to be sensitive to classmates who are struggling. Perhaps you have never been around those who legitimate. Okay, I almost laugh reading this out loud. <laughs> Perhaps you have never been around those who, who this legitimately triggers because had you been, I doubt this would have been posted in such a derogatory manner. And you know what uh, is really, really hilarious? I literally have trauma, anxiety that's sparked by loud noises and it triggers. <laughs> it's like, like legitimately on my medical records, you know? In I had fact, no idea. Yeah. In fact, I wrote this into my... Don't get triggered. Should Don't get triggered. Can you talk quieter, please? You're really triggering me. But, you know, it's like there's ways of dealing with it. First of all, going to therapy is good. Going, getting medication, good. You can put earplugs in your ears when you know you're going to be in a crowd. I always do. Yep. Last night I was in a place where people were playing music and I went up to the soundboard and told them to turn it down. I mean, I'm that old. <laughs> <laughs> so there's just, there's ways you can, you know, deal with your issues, but you don't have to make the, how are you going to make crowds not clap? No, no, you can't. And the other, the other problem that I have with this is um, it's not about clapping. It's not about noise. It's about, um, pandering to every idiosyncrasy and weakness uh that anyone has about anything right so anyone can anyone can say well such and such bothers me like you can be triggered by literally anything like people's trauma can be anything 
right? Yeah. yeah. I could claim that I'm I'm triggered by, you know, discussions of government because I'm an anarchist. So you can never talk about politics and government. Like you could you could be triggered by anything. So if you have a society in which we can't um like everyone needs to pander to the most broken and disabled person. Not that those makes them a bad person, but like, you know, if I have to have a wheelchair, it doesn't mean that everything has to be wheelchair accessible, which I know a lot of people think it does, but you know, it's, that's just the way, that's yeah. the way the world is. You can't pander to everyone. Otherwise you're screwed. Well, and she brought that up. She's like, well, do you think uh, wheelchair ramps are ridiculous too? You know? And I said, well, real wheelchair ramps aren't infringing on everybody going about their business. They're just helping some people go about their business. Clapping is telling an entire crowd not to do what crowds do. It's like telling a dog not to wag his tail. You know, there's, there, this is infringing on people's ability to move and go about their business. It, yeah. it's, it's not about ac accessibility. It's about authoritarian, uh, authoritarian activity. Yeah. I mean, uh, like, I don't, I mean, maybe this isn't a popular view, but even for me, like, ADA compliance for private businesses, I just don't, I don't think should be a thing. Like if a, if a business wants to, to do that, fine, but they shouldn't be forced to make it accessible for anyone with any disability. I mean, that's not, it's private property. It costs money yeah. and it costs real money to do that. Yeah. Um, and you're, you're right about triggers. I mean, you can literally be triggered by anything. I mean, who knows in the moment of, and that's the thing, see, they do a disservice to people who actually do have issues, you know, like myself, I've got issues, but right. you do it, you do a disservice when you act, when you take the real phenomenon and you act like this is some big, huge, like everybody cater to me and I want to be the center of attention and I'm such a victim and oh my goodness. And then pretty soon everybody hates people like that. People, right. Who, Cause you appear weak, right. People who yeah. have been traumatized become this sort of target for everybody's anger because they're, they seem like they're pansies, but really it's just these activists who like to take on the persona of, and maybe they have been a victim, but maybe they're also narcissists and they want to bring attention to themselves. I don't know. They just well, do a I, disservice to people. Yeah. I mean, I do think the people that, I think a lot of the times the, and, and this is a blanket statement about the left. Uh, I think a lot of leftists are authoritarian busybodies, so they get off on controlling people and telling them what to do and telling them, you can't use this word, you have to use that, you can't say this, you have to do that. Um, it's not about actually helping the people that have um, any particular issues. Right. It's about right. what they can get away with in terms of wielding power. Yeah, and I'm triggered by your green shirt, by the way. Good. Because the person who attacked me had a green shirt, <laughs> so we're going to ban green shirts. Yes, you should ban green shirts. Um, and if you're Jesse Smollett, you could be triggered by my tie. Um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. <sighs> yeah, there's another, what was the other um, school related one? I'm looking through my list. Oh, did you see this uh, Seattle public school thing? Oh, about no, math? I, I didn't. So let me hear, maybe I can even... Let me see if I can pull it up. So the Seattle public schools are proposing to um, integrate basically ethnic studies into math, K through 12. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull something up for you, for you to oh, see. We're so screwed so, as a Western society. Yeah, you're gonna love this. 
so here's the here's the themes. Um, and I don't know if this is passed yet, but they're they're trying to get this into math. So um, read the word math right here, K through twelve math ethnic studies framework. Ugh. And then they've got these themes, and then um, so this this is broken into themes, and then learning targets for each themes, and then essential questions um, to ask. Right, but we can just look at the themes really quickly. Origins, identity, and agency. Definition of the theme. Origins, identity, and agency as defined by ethnic studies is the ways in which we view ourselves as mathematicians and members of broader mathematical communities. Mathematical theory and application is rooted in the ancient histories of people and empires of color. All human endeavors include mathematical thinking from humanities to the arts to the sciences. Um, so this is, and actually let's read the next one too because we'll, we'll treat them together. I'll just read them and we'll just talk about it. Uh, power and oppression is the next one. Power and oppression is defined by ethnic studies are ways in which the individuals and groups define mathematical knowledge so as to see Western mathematics as the only legitimate expression of mathematical identity and intelligence. Oh, I can't this even. Definition, I know. This definition of legitimacy is then used to disenfranchise people of communities of color. This erases the historical contributions of people and communities of color. Um, can I insert something right here? All you yeah, need let's to do, stop it anyway right now. Look, so. you you all you need to do, all you need to know about these programs is take the word math out of that document and insert any other word, and it would read the exact same. Because yes. what they are teaching is an ideology. They're giving people glasses. Look at my beautiful owl harry potter glasses i am joking i was telling carter at the beginning of this how hideous they are they're so hideous my 10 year old daughter won't even give me an opinion on them anyway i told you her that daria was uh was cool and she had glasses like that so if anyone's seen daria tell her she looks good tell tell gracie that they're good daria glasses but if you haven't seen daria you can't anyway sorry go ahead go ahead <laughs> okay so my anyway they give you these lenses to look through and then they send you into the world there's women's studies programs which are also ethnic studies programs, um, these essentially women's studies has created a bunch of other studies because women come in all colors and religions and sexualities, et cetera. So what they've, what they've done is this, this ideology is sort of splintered off into its own little intersections and they're, they're gain they're vying for who's more authoritative, who is more oppressed essentially, because the more oppressed you are, the more authoritative your voice is. But uh, what, what they're doing is saying, here's the glasses you wear. It doesn't matter if you're learning about race or gender or sexual. It doesn't matter. Here's the exact lands. It's power and oppression. And they put this, all of the wording you just read is basically transposed into any topic that they pick up. So you could say women in media. Oh, and then you could read all the things you just said, like it originated with people of color because back then actually, and what the, the goal really is territorial. What they're trying to do is gain territory in an area that, that, that has been dominated by people that they hate because of the color of their skin. Right. So the goal is to gain the territory that they perceive has been taken by those people with that color of skin. Right. And so that, I mean, they'll do it with math. They'll do it with anything. Yeah. And you know, something that struck me as interesting. So the, the argument here, someone in, in chat just said, really, Greece is a country of people of color. So let me go over their argument here, just so you understand what the math argument is. So yeah, so the, the 
like Western philosophy originated in um, basically the, the Aegean Sea area, like Greece and Asia Minor. And you had the first kind of major philosopher that anyone talks about. By the way, when I say philosopher, back then philosopher meant like scientist, everything. It was all like learned person studying the world, right? So um, the first one we talk about is Thales. I think he was from Miletus, which is on the west coast of Asia Minor. Now, Thales and all the pre-Socratics, all, not all of them, but most of the pre-Socratics, including Pythagoras, who we, we, we talk about as like the Pythagorean theorem, and he had a, a huge school of philosophy. Um, they were intensely critical of each other, but they also, a lot of them traveled to Egypt. And now, of course, Egypt had pre pyramids that predated this, and so clearly they had some working um, knowledge of math. But... Um, to, but we don't have any evidence that any of it was formalized or that there was any of the, the later math, like what Archimedes did or anything that was built upon that. All we know is that they had pyramids. They must have had some understanding. And we know that a lot of, a lot of the ancient philosophers visited Egypt. So I think where this is coming from is this idea of like, and I've heard people say this, oh, the, the ancients just went to Egypt and appropriated math, right? And then, uh, and then, and then moved on. Um, but this is, uh, this is like saying, um, this is like saying, uh, Newton, uh, Newton did physics and then Einstein came along and did more. And so Einstein just appropriated it from Newton and, and stole it. It's like, no, Newton contributed, but Einstein contributed in his own right. Like knowledge builds. And it's the interesting thing to me, Gracie, is you never hear appropriation being used um, when, when, it's, when it's in reference to people taking anything that the Western world has done. You only hear it about the Western world appropriating anything anyone else has done. So like, were there mathematicians in India and did, did the Arabics have some early math and possibly Egypt? Yes. Did the West appropriate that? Well, they may have learned some and built on it and did some amazing things based on it. But if we're going to use that context, then everyone has appropriated from the West since then, right? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. there's no, just just yeah. look at how the word appropriation is used. And it's very clear. Yeah. It's a clear racist use. It is. Uh, you know, I think this is part of where the mask slips and you start to see that this movement is actually about hating a particular skin color. That's what it's turned into. It's turned into. Yep. And I really believe that because it, it, this, this feminist philosophy started off very differently than it looks right now. But at the time when the original feminists or women's lib people were gaining rights legally and the right to vote and things like that, they were focused on tangible outcomes. When they accomplished those things, this feminist movement turned into women's liberation, which was more abstract. It wasn't so concrete. It was like, we're going to change culture to think like this because they think women can't do this or can't do this or whatever. They, they just think certain ways that we want to change, right? So what the problem is, you can't get everybody on board with this idea that the whole society needs to change how they think about men and women, right? I mean, most people in society go about their life and they really don't care. And even if they thought about it, they might disagree with you. So they don't have enough people. They don't have enough numbers. So as okay. this philosophy started to develop, it incorporated this idea of race because in the mid eighties, especially there was a critique of feminism itself. Like this is really not addressing other women besides white women in terms of their context. Like some things were specific, 
for example, white women would try to be like, we need abortion rights. And in black communities, they're like, we, we just don't want to be sterilized, you know? So they had different, sometimes they would have these different issues, but what ended up happening is because the feminist movement got critiqued from within, there became this like hierarchical who's got more better knowledge. And then it sort of morphed into this people of color narrative, right? This, this, what people of color means is everybody except white people. Right. So, but this movement has long been about resentment anyway, regarding gender men in particular resentment, right? But there just wasn't enough numbers to make a movement that was significant enough to gain momentum in society and really, really transform the entire society. Well, what does gain momentum is tribal warfare. And you can especially do that with separating people by skin color. So all of this progress that we made in the civil rights era where people just tried harder not to care about people's skin color when it came, came to judging them, they tried to judge them, tried to judge their value based on other things, right? The famous quote Correctly. from right. Dr. Yeah. King, right? The content of their character, not the color. Well, this movement had morphed. And so I think I really do believe that we're at a point where what this movement has turned into is an anti-white movement. And the mask slips when you, when you talk about things like that. When you talk about why is it that we only talk about cultural appropriation when this oh there's this slipping of the mask like there's actually this sort of underlying hatred <laughs> and Absolutely. i've got other examples but um you want to jump in no i i couldn't agree more with what you said and that's something that for a while i was thinking oh intersectionality is about pitting group against group it's not it's it's about pitting everyone against white culture basically that's what um, it's turning into yeah and and you know you brought it up you know, all you have to do is look at the language. People of color. That means non-white. That's all that means. It means non-white. It doesn't mean um, Chinese or, or African or Latino. It means non-white. So it's, I mean, that's the dynamic. Yeah. Whites and people of color. That's the dynamic. People well, you're, yeah. are white, whites are wrong. Right. I mean, it's really a frightening thing if you if you think about a movement that's calling the entirety of the world except for one race to critique that one race. I mean, we would never put up with this in any other context. So uh, it's, it's actually kind of frightening because it's, it's, it's um, covert and it's done under the guise of empathy, right? Yes. Which can be very dangerous. And I think because this movement is being spurred on by women, especially people who end up getting ensnared in women's studies, I think the reason why it's so devastating is because feminists have sent women into society and told them, you have no risk factor. And men do, of course, they're violent. That's their risk factor. They're violent people. Right. And, but they say, women, you don't have any, you're great, you know, go into the world and make the world a better place. Cause women are, well, this was the original story. Now everything's up in the air and debatable, but women are naturally compassionate and empathetic and all of this stuff. So they, they sent them in the world with this idea that they have no risk factor if they become these public leaders. But the truth is, our biology has dictated that we will be mama bearing. Like if we see a perceived threat, we will, we will protect those cubs, right? Well, our risk factor is not taking into account the, the, the idea that whatever's in front of us might not actually be a risk. 
It just looks like it. And so I really think there's this mama bearing happening with feminists who simultaneously don't want kids. They discourage people from kids. They talk badly about kids, but they parent all of society and go after, they especially parent females, but they go after any perceived threat, which unfortunately is all of society, apparently. Right. And um, they're just destroying it. And, and the way that women stereotypically do this, or more often is a better way of saying that, do this is through reputation, destroying, you know, think Kavanaugh. Yep. Yep. No, I, you're making a great point. It's something that, um, you know, women, when you raise kids, I mean, anyone who's who's raised kids with a partner of the opposite sex, right? You see this, um, the, the mom tends to be uh, extremely protective of the child and wanting to um, smooth every uh, obstacle in the child's way. They tend to do the mama bear thing. If there's any kind of threat to the child, they can then react viciously. And they try and coddle the child and treat them as, and by the way, that's a good natural instinct because when the baby is zero months old, that's necessary. It's completely vulnerable and you need to be hypervigilant about that and, and coddle it and be ultra pandering and responsive to every little need. That's a necessary, that's a necessary aspect of, of being a mother. Dads though tend to be, I mean, again, I'm speaking in generalities. Dads tend to be like, Eh, you know, he fell down. Dads are like, eh, let him, you know, leave him yeah, alone. Let him, let him risk it. Yeah, it's right? a good balance, right? Absolutely, right? Dads are the people that are like, let him climb the tree. And the mom's like, oh my God, he'll fall and break his arm. Dad's like, okay, well, you know, he'll learn his boundaries and we'll take him to the doctor. Like they're, they're much more comfortable with risk and they're preparing, dads are necessary because they're preparing the kid for the real world where there are risks and you you are in danger and you have to be able to be strong enough to go do those things. And, you know, you don't have everything coddled for you. And I think, or, you know, you're not coddled and everything's prepared for you, but you've got, you've got um, this women is wonderful ideology, which you described, right? Sending women out into the world, telling them that, that everything they do is wonderful. The world should be run by women. Women know better. Women are, you know, men are violent and horrible and women are awesome. And you get women in positions of power and they do exactly that. They, um, they try and coddle and mother citizens as if they should have an authoritarian figure watching out for them, which is not how free societies work. The other thing you, you see though, and you see this in a lot of, you see this in like Angela Merkel, I've heard this example where a motherless, uh, or sorry, a childless older woman like Angela Merkel, often they project their lack, you know, they, they want that, they want to have that mothery relationship. Often they project it on downtrodden. And if that means immigrants coming in or, um, you know, other, you know, let's just take immigrants in Germany as an example, they, they get, they get very upset. If you suggest that, like, Hey, a lot of these immigrants are fighting age men from war-torn countries that are, you know, have a lot of Islamic fanaticism in them. Shouldn't we screen carefully? They get that overbearing mother kind of you know, stay away from my cubs. These are, these need to be nurtured. These men need, you know, these, these immigrants need to be nurtured. And while it may be true that some of them deserve some nurturing, um, that's not, that's, that's a, a very narrow way to look at the immigration problem without seeing all of the other potential risks associated with it. And I think that's just them projecting their not having a child, frankly, and wanting yeah. to mother someone. Right. And em empathy can be extremely destructive. And I think we're seeing that when you, 
when you see these um, groups, these feminists in particular, try to parent entire groups, it's like they've already identified who their baby is, and you can't convince them otherwise that these aren't your children, but they're just mama bearing. They are like, I am going to go after anyone who goes after them because they've sort of bonded somehow maternally with them. Like, this is totally deep psychology, right? But I mean, I think Freud would have a, a heyday with this if he were alive, because think about this, okay? You've got feminists who basically have told generation after generation of women that you you should want what men have. I mean, talk about penis envy. Right. Um, yeah, you know, whatever All those that men have, those are the important things. Everything right. you have is not important. Exactly. And so your traditional roles in the world don't mean anything. They're not important. Obviously, whatever men are doing is. Therefore, let's go get that. And really devaluing the history that women have had in the world with all of the roles in society. And so, okay, so all they care about is power. And and they see that men have power and women don't supposedly. But the, 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 the problem with that is that women have a lot more power than they gave them credit for. Because Women in in really conservative Christian environments, they'll say women are the neck that turn the head. In other words, like, yeah, the men's the, the man is the head of the house, but the woman is the neck that turns it. And so you could think about that in a bigger picture in the world and say, it's not like women have had nothing to do with history, <laughs> nothing to do with society. I mean, for the love, you know, some of these men have been mouthpieces for these wives back before they even had a vote. So it's not, it's, it's, and I like how Dr. Peterson, Jordan Peterson talks about this. He said, he said, gender historically has been a sort of a dance or a negotiation over time. And men and women have had to figure out how to survive together how to figure, figure out how to have their children survive together. And he hasn't said this, but it's occurred to me that the reason this mama bearing is instinct is so strong in women is that, that they can only have one baby at a time and it takes nine months to give birth. And they right. have to protect that. And men, they can have as many babies as they want all the time, wherever they go. Like, you know, right. spread their seed. If, if so, you die, it doesn't matter too much because there's a, there's a sea of children potentially. Yes. Right. And I think you could psychoanalyze all of this till the cows come home, as they say. I'm not a psychologist, but I do think there is work to do in this area of understanding the psychological uh, phenomenon that is this feminist movement, which is now, like I said, morphed into, I don't even know what to call it, but it's definitely an anti-white movement. Um, Feminists in the traditional sense have given up their they've ceded territory to this other idea, which is white people are the enemy, not men, because you could get a lot more people on board with that. I would say if I had to, if I had to distill it, I would say it's a war on Western culture. Yes. Now white men are the, the, uh, kind of stereotype or, or not, that's the wrong word. Um, my, my brain is just, my, my, uh, my vocabulary is failing me right now, but white men are the kind of example there. Right. Um, but the, the instance that people, that people look to, uh, to represent Western culture, but someone in the chat mentioned that, and this is correct. I've heard this. They say white people have no culture is a common sentiment. And this is the, this is the problem. Um, and I won't, I won't, I won't say white people for this, but I'll say Western culture. Cause it's like, people say Western culture isn't real. It's like, not real. It's really a thing. They have no culture. Um, the fact that you can say that and not get killed by the state is Western culture. Exactly. Like, 
that's what Western culture is. And you're all taking it for granted. Western culture is this idea mm -hmm. of freedom of, of expression, freedom of speech, property rights. Open-mindedness. Um, yes, the com common law, which morphed into um, actual legal systems. Like all of this stuff is, this is Western culture. And when you speak against Western culture without fear of retribution, you are relying on Western culture because other cultures would kill you traditionally off. would shut you up. Go to China and try and say, China sucks and see how long you last. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, I really see this as patricide, committing patricide. Uh, you know, we're killing off our father. And I think that's another reason why Jordan Peterson resonates so well with people, especially men, because they have to identify somehow with their psychological father, right? Our uh, civilization, men have built civilization. Okay. So when you try to tear down civilization, the deep psyche of that, and that is what's happening. They're really, they're, they're committing patricide. And when Jordan Peterson says, rescue your father from the underworld, that's, we have the, we're in the feminist underworld here. We have the belly of the whale and we're, we're really trying to rescue our father is how I see it. You know, it is our father, our, our society, our history, our culture, our traditions, and those are under siege. It's very explicit. Yeah. So speaking out against it and identifying it is important. Identifying the ways in which these people say like, oh, you guys are so bad, but then you turn, you have to point the finger back and say, you guys are parenting adults. That's yes. weird. That's wrong and weird, you know? So it's important to bring it back around to them, I think, because they have such a, a critical eye for everybody else. It's important to understand how you can bring it to their attention, what they're doing. And yeah, I think you're right. Um, it's a great metaphor. The patricide metaphor is a really good metaphor. It's, it's odd to me that, not odd, it's, it's dishonest also. And I think this is generally true for either gender. It's dishonest to point the finger at one particular gender when you look at anything that's happened in history. Because the truth is historically, Yes, males were in political positions of power often historically. Females raised those males. Women have always been in charge of raising the next generation, instilling them them the values, teaching them what to do, um, even as adult males, even in ancient times. Uh, adult males had a great amount of respect for their mothers often and, and, and thanked their mothers for the guidance they'd given them. So it's, it's humanity. If, if we've screwed up, and we have as humans, it's us as humans. It's not men did this, women did that. Blah, blah, blah. It's look, we raised gen women helped raise generations of kids to do bad things. Often, many of those kids grew up to be men doing bad things. But this was a collective. Um, I don't mean this in the collectivist sense, but this was a collective doing. We both both genders did this. We both contributed to everything, the good and the bad right. in society. Right. The irony is that, that feminists like to say, oh, men have always been in charge. And it's like, how disempowering is that? You're basically saying women had nothing to do with history and society and religion and life. You know, you're, you're kind of telling women you're this pathetic little infant that can't even raise your head. And we're here to save you. It's, it's so obvious when you think about it. You're like, who hasn't psychoanalyzed this yet? Come on. You know, <sighs> You're depressing me. It really is a war on Western civilization. <laughs> <laughs> well, but he, I, th I have hope. I do think when women speak up for men, when people of color, all the non-white people 
speak up for white people. And when um, what non-Westerners speak up for the West and say, man, I wish I lived there. I think there's hope because when somebody starts to wake up, when they start to realize there's crazy town all around me, they'll start listening to these voices like I did. And I think that means there's hope. So. I certainly, I certainly hope so. Um, all right, let's, let's, I, there's just another funny story here. Did you read about Portland, uh, the Portland building uh, banning urinals? Oh yeah, yeah, that's down the road. I live here in Portland. Yeah, so public building banned urinals because they, uh, what was the, how did they say it? It was something like arbitrary barriers. They were eliminating arbitrary barriers. That's their way of saying pretty soon we're gonna have one bathroom for every kind of human because we're gonna, because we can't decide how many kinds of humans there are right now. So we're just gonna leave it open. And if there's a urinal in there, it's a barrier because some people can't use urinals and we're gonna just have all the kinds of people in one space. But really, you guys, I can't even, it's, castr it's castration, it's psychological castration. This is Absolutely. another way of patricide. It's killing off your father. Like you said, Freud would love it. I know, right? And they have such penis envy and they wanna castrate men. It's just amazing, it's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, uh... But but they will they have reserved. I think there's a couple of bathrooms on different floors for people. For um, I think they're single stall, like individuals. Anybody can use them, or something. Or or do they did they do you remember do that did they reserve female only and male only? I'm pretty sure they got rid of the gender thing. But they have some bathrooms that you can use without you know your random other person who you're not comfortable pulling your pants down around in there. Yeah, all I've got here is let's see, city of. Portland, this is from KGW8, the local TV. The city of Portland banned urinals in the remodeled Portland building. Urinals, for those who have never blah, 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 exposed what urinals are. We will continue to have gender-specific male and female multi-stall restrooms that are readily available to any employee that prefers to use one. But there will be no urinals in, urinals in any restroom in the building. This will oh, give yeah. us the flexibility we need for any future changes in signage. Oh, so they're worried about like, they're going to make us take like what you said. They're going to make us take the signs off and have the bathrooms be for both genders. So, right. so what they're saying is we're getting ready for something and they're yep. basically giving you a heads up. It's like, well, what the hell are you getting ready for? Holy, you know, I mean, what, what are you getting ready for? You want to bring everybody into one bath. Why don't you just have a separate bathroom for anyone who wants to identify as a freak? Sorry. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> How about you just let men be men, women be women, and then all the psychological crazies can go in their own stall, just their own separate little bathroom. If you want to be weird and stand outside of society and be non-binary, which I think is a load of crock and I don't mind saying it, and uh, you just go in that little stall, go in that room, please go in that room. Yeah, I mean, I think the non-binary thing, uh, the, the percentage of people that actually have a physical uh, we'll say deformity, right, um, is extremely low. I think it's like 0. 0.3 or something like that, 0. 0.6, some, some really low percentage of people. Um, but none of them can like impregnate themselves. None of them have a full set of both gendered, uh, like functioning organs. Um, they may have some external confusion, but this idea that there's 
like I've said this before, but it's like it's like saying no gloves can have five fingers anymore because yeah. some people have six. Have six. Exactly. Yeah, I get that some people have six, but that's not that's not what's supposed to happen. That's a that's an error in replication. <laughs> like that's that's <laughs> you a know problem. What? That's my next satire. Yes. <laughs> the, the six finger gloves. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, what else do I have here? Well, Elizabeth says, wow, so soon bathrooms will be replaced with assault chambers. Great. So it's true. Time for a yeah. catheter. <laughs> it's true, though, because like as a female going into these, you hear these stories about some pervert who's like staring at women over the stall. And so, you know, I just think you just basically say to all the not that there's a ton of perverts, but I think in the grand scheme of things, there aren't there's more not pervert men. I'd like to put that out there, but there are a few guys that would do something strange like that. And it's like, I don't want to be sitting in the stall and look up and be like, Oh crap. There's some random crazy person staring at me over or under the stall. That's so scary. Like I, I would, <laughs> yeah, I would hold it in all day. I just wouldn't work there. Yeah. No, it's not a, it's not a safe, it's not a safe environment. Um, but they don't care. They don't care. Well, so actually, let's, you know, we talked about the fight against Western civilization. And, and I've thought about this a little bit, but not extensively. And maybe you've thought about it more. How does erasing the fact of binary, like sexual dimorphism, how does erasing the fact, erasing the fact of sexual dimorphism fit into the destruction of Western civilization? Well, the family is the cornerstone of any civilization. And um, they have been on a, a mission for a long time to disrupt the traditional family. I mean, I sat in classes, what was it, 15 years ago now? I can never remember how many years I, I was in college, how many years ago. But yeah, this is 15 years ago. And I sat in classes where they were talking about how the nuclear family is basically the enemy because it just keeps perpetuating all of these things that we hate, like heterosexuality and West, well, Christians, they do this thing where they like have to get married before they have children and stuff. And it's really annoying because how regressive is that? And so they have these conversations where people basically, they convince these little college students that marriage is bad and, and nuclear families are bad because they're traditional and they perpetuate all this horror that they tell you about in class. And basically the, the goal is to just destroy the nuclear family. And they don't mind saying it. They literally are like, how can we do this? And part of doing that is destroying gender because as much as w feminists have penis envy and would like to be men in the world, they aren't, and they never will be. They don't have a penis. They have to get rid of the urinal. And they, they really just, if they can't be a man, no one can, right? They, I think they're just trying to just, I think they're just trying to destroy the categories because if you can get rid of the categories, then nobody will be straight and then nobody will be nuclear and then nobody will be a family. And then that, I, that's just how you destroy society. I don't care what culture you're in. I think, uh, I think you're making a really good point that it's that there's that resentment. It's like, if we can't have this, no one can. Um, it's really, really, it's a bitter mindset. I, I think partially when I, when, if we fast forward this, to, let's assume that they keep getting their way. Right. And we fast forward into the world where they want, I mean, not only, you know, you pointed out, they said they want to destroy nuclear families. Um, I think, you know, it's pretty clear that they, their, their view is they would like to have, um, 
children actually raised by the state, not by, uh, not by the biological parents of that child. And so this is why you're seeing in um, earlier and earlier calls from the left for, you know, first it was, we need like mandatory kindergarten. Now we need like uh, preschool that's available. Now we're going to need pre preschool, like daycare should be available for everyone. Their goal, if, if you think about them as authoritarians who are wanting to uh, operate like a tax farm or literally communists, they want these like androgynous adults, both of whom are working. They hate the, I think the reason that this, the, the statists really hate single, um, not single moms, stay at home moms is you're not paying taxes. Stay at home moms don't pay taxes. You're, you're, you're home keeping the house together. It's not a taxable event. So they would rather have both parents out working, being taxed. Plus now you have to hire someone to pay for watching your child who that person will end up raising them. That person will get taxed. So that income gets taxed. Now they got more income and it gets taxed twice because it's going to go to you and then right out the door to a child care provider. And if the, if the state's providing the, the child care, well, they can raise taxes generally on everyone because they need to now fund this big program. And it's perfect for indoctrination. They hate the fact that you might raise a child who disagrees with their ideology. So what they need to have is, uh, and they, and I think they know, Gracie, your kids are going to be inoculated from this idea, ideology. I think largely mine will as well. And so, yeah, they, they because we had access to them early. Right. <laughs> right. Well, well, they absolutely know that, and they they don't like the fact that there are entire uh, communities and families of people who are perpetuating their traditionalist ideas, Christianity, even ideas that are maybe in their minds, anti-science, and maybe they literally are anti-science. I don't know, but that was the original like critique that everybody could kind of get on board with like, Oh no, they're going to teach flat earth or whatever it is, you know, like right. um, no evolution. And so they got on board with everybody can say that's shameful, but then really it's more than that. It's that, that they're modeling to this female child that they are uh, dependent on a man and that can't be good because <laughs> he's a man, but they, they can't see it the other way. You know, how wonderful is it that this man is providing for his family and that she gets to be with her kids? Because guess what? Most women would like to raise their children. It's a very communist model, actually, to put all the children into right training and take the parents out of the scene and make them be part functioning for the state and it always blows my mind it's like would you rather work for one man or the entire community like i would rather work for the one man i love and make him dinner than work for the entire community for what 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 you know and and not raise my children and not tell them what my values are but you're right, right. my kids will be inoculated from this and if they choose to go into it that'll be their conscious choice and i've told them you guys are going to make your own choices someday. And if you just, my son goes, don't worry, mom, I'll never be a feminist. And I said, if you are, I will expect you to have thought through your answers and be able to defend them and expect me to critique you and expect, I expect you to defend your positions. But I, you know, I I'm, I'm setting them up already. I'm like, you be, you think what you want. I'm just going to come after those thoughts. So you better be ready to answer for them. But uh, that's the vaccine. Yeah. Think what you want and have reasons is the vaccine. Yeah, so. it is. I did. I, so my, my daughter, okay, they do this thing at the public school. I don't know if they do this everywhere, but they do this thing where counselors at the school get involved in kid life and they don't tell the parents. 
What do you mean in what way? So, well, my daughter came home once and she was like, well, this kid, you know, said this thing and, or something, you know, it was like something mean. And I was thinking like, oh, well, you know, that's life. That's what kids do. Let's talk about it. And I wanted to tell, I wanted to talk to her about my values and what I would think and how I would approach it. And I wanted to kind of give her this framework or, or even tools, how to deal. And then she says something about how the counselor said, and I was like, what, what, why, what, why did you go to the counselor? And she's like, well, they called me in. I'm like, what? Yeah. So some teacher overheard the comment and it wasn't like women are awful. It was just a stupid kid being mean. And the counselor calls him in and the separately and counselor calls her in and has a conversation with her. And I'm like, whoa, don't parent my child. This is yeah. my job. You're taking my job and you're not even telling me you're going to take my daughter out of a situation that impacted her somehow. And you're going to download whatever, who knows the fluff idea that you have in your head. And you don't even give me the chance to do that as a parent. Like that pissed me off. And I called the office and I said, never ever counsel my child without asking me first. Right. And I think they did it one other time without telling me. So probably and, and, did. I mean, and then like uh, two days ago, my, my daughter goes, well, today, so today I'm going to help the kindergartens with reading. And then I'm going to go do my uh, yearbook thing. And then, and then we'll have counseling. And I was like, what, you know? And she said, well, the counselor talks to the class and like every month. And I, I said, oh. like they come home with, sometimes they'll come home with something like this little fuzzball, And they're like, I got a warm fluffy from the counselor. Oh dear God, this is so bad. I said, okay, honey today when the counselor comes in to talk to you, maybe she will and maybe she won't, but I want you to listen. And I want you to ask yourself this question, is whatever she's telling me going to make children tougher or weaker? Ask yourself that question. I want you to have that question at the front of your mind, whatever she's saying, ask yourself, is this advice she's giving going to make kids tougher or weaker? And I just put, I planted it in her head, you know? I can't deal with these people. Well, this is why I think you're seeing a rise in homeschooling because parents are horrified at what's going on in the schools. Um, you know, myself included. Uh, so the only way to really combat this attack on the nuclear family and on what you described accurately as the communist model for raising children is, uh, is to really do as much of it as home as you possibly can, like have the nuclear family and spend as much time in the nuclear family as possible. Yeah. So low res boy on the comments that I would get my kid out of there. And um, I, I think about that, you know, I do, I think about, man, am I really doing them a disservice? Cause the problem is I have to work because academia, because I, I owe so much student loans. So that woman studies. Yeah, women's studies indoctrinated me and then enslaved me. And now I have to send my children to public school to be indoctrinated. But, yep. you know, uh, I could probably get creative and figure it out. And like my their cousin is being homeschooled by my their aunt, you know, so it's like I could probably figure that out. But I'm also really thinking this is a training ground. They're going to come across all of this in their generation of kids. And so I just every night at dinner, I mean, every night we sit down and we talk about something new. And I try to download what I know and I try to 
I try to give them the argument that they're going to hear if they have not already. And I try to do justice to that argument. I try to say they think they're doing a good thing. Here's why they think they're doing a good thing. And here's why I disagree. And here's why I think it's actually damaging. And so they're really learning a lot. In fact, when they'll come home from watching a movie with a friend or something, they'll say, that was such a feminist film. And I'm like, how do you know? And tell me. And he's like, well, <laughs> at some point, Wreck-It Ralph was falling through the air and all these Disney princesses were like, we'll save you big, strong man. And I was like, exactly. You got it. So even though he's being exposed to this stuff, he sees it. And I'm like, good. Yep. No, it's it's super important because um, it's pre it's everywhere. And if you can, if you can do, I, look, I we're doing some homeschooling now and um, it's not as hard as I thought it would be, honestly. Uh, there's so many resources nowadays online. Um, in fact, my daughter right now is in the other room learning French. Uh, and so online, um, so there's, there's actually, there's a lot of resources available. Um, yeah. Nowadays, but you know, it depends how old your kids are and all that kind of stuff. The other thing I'm seeing from schools though, in addition to the indoctrination, I don't know if you're seeing this, but in addition to the indoctrination, there's just, um, a deplorably low standard for actually learning anything else. Yeah. Um, compared to what, you know, I went to a public school growing up, probably wasn't the best, but it was okay. And the, the, the level of, um, the level of actual knowledge that's being imparted to these kids is, is sad. Is. I have a, we have a friend who, um, her son was, I think he's around 10. He was considered a math whiz here and he was going to school and like, Oh, math whiz, like super competent. One of these kids that you're just like, awesome. He would get up in the morning and like make breakfast for his mom and get all of his hockey stuff together and wake her up and be like, it's time to bring you to hockey and just really good at math, like straight A kind of student. Um, she, they're Chinese. She moved back to China for like a year temporarily. Um, so they went back to China for a year and put him in one of China's, um, they have like these uh, separate schools for like mixed, mixed culture, kind of like, oh, like Westerners are here and it's not as rigorous. Within like a week, she got calls from the teacher that his math was not as, not up to snuff. He wasn't good enough. Right in in the remedial school in China, his math isn't good enough, um, and here he's being celebrated as a math genius. Well, I mean, if you're learning racism in math class, then clearly we are falling behind the rest of the world. Yeah, yeah, it's scary to me to think that. Um, I don't think that America doesn't have the ability. It's not like it's not like there's an innate difference that prevents us from being able to compete in the marketplace, but we're busy taking suicide pills and training our kids to destroy our civilization. And there's other large countries out there who wrong as their governments are and authoritarian and, and horrible as they are, you know, they're at least teaching kids how to, you know, be effective in the world, at least with respect to math and science yeah. and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. My son just started a, an industrial science middle school slash high school. So it's focused on STEM. They're not going to read Shakespeare. They don't have art programs. It's all science, math, and they do, you know, they'll do English, but it's all integrated programs. So they do their, their English by reading about the project they're doing. Like their project would be, let's build desks. This is a new middle school. We don't have desks. We're going to build them. So we're going to learn the math on doing that. We're going to do the science of it. We're going to read about it with that's the English or whatever. We're going to write a little bit about it. So 
they integrate all this stuff and that's what they're doing. I have my eye on it though. Cause I'm like, you guys better be good. Cause I don't want my kids sitting around being like, I do school kind of, you know, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But my daughter I is- love that approach. The only thing that, uh, the only thing that I just, I guess we can get into education a little bit, but the, um, the thing that I see is a huge focus on STEM and largely that's coming from the feminists. Um, who are all about science, technology, engineering, and math because they're, you know, women are underrepresented, quote, underrepresented, blah, blah, blah. There's this huge push for kids in STEM, kids in STEM, kids in STEM. And I'm not opposed to it. Like, I do think you need to learn to program and all that kind of stuff. But you know what they're really missing, Carrie? Carrie. Logic. Like, Carrie. basic logic. Hey, not Carrie, sorry. <laughs> they're missing, like, basic logic, um, just a history of Western civilization and philosophy, like, kind of world cult world lit classes like the old yeah. the older kind Classic. of like yeah because our culture a lot of these ideas you know they're being told that we're appropriating this and appropriating that and we're just oppressive but like they're missing out on the rich history and actual truth of and the substance behind why we do what we do why are we worried about authoritarian states yeah we sh- we should know that right why do we think that there's freedom of speech? There's a long philosophic history beneath yeah. that. Well, I went to public school and I never understood my parents' generation and why they seemed to need to parent the world. I didn't I, I didn't have any ideological mission about this information. I just always questioned because nobody ever taught me about the Soviet Union or communist China. So I didn't know how bad these things actually were. And my parents would, you know, agree with people, these politicians who were like, we're going to not let this country have nuclear stuff. And we're going to go in and parent that one. We're going to take over this one. And I always, I always remember thinking like, that's kind of strange, isn't it? It seems like we're deciding everything for people. It just seems strange to me, but partly because I had never learned about these horrible governments that did horrible things. And if you're in charge, why not stop that? So when I got into college, of course, when they started telling me things like socialism is moral and communism is kind of cute too. And, and they're flirting with it. And I didn't know, like, I was like, Oh, really? Okay. Cause nobody taught me these things. Yeah. If you don't teach the, if you don't teach kind of the basic Western philosophy, um, then people get away with saying things like I've heard people say, and like people who are kind of on the right ish even say, well, communism is an ideal, but it doesn't, it only works on paper. It doesn't work in, in practice. No, it doesn't work on paper. You're retarded if you think it's an ideal. It doesn't work. There's like millennia of paper that you can read. Mm. It doesn't work on paper. It only works on paper if you don't understand it. Yeah. Um, but that's what they- Maybe it's because they can't math. They can't, they can't math. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. Um, maybe we should tell them they can't implement communism because it's appropriation. uh, (laughs) right yeah there you go yeah we got to start using their tools against them yeah oh what else i've got a few other things on my my list um throw them at me i don't have anything in front of me little things did you see did you see that um i think tim pool did a video on this which is great so you remember hillary made these comments about tulsi gabbard i think last week Mm -hmm. being russian groomed by the Russians. Mm-hmm. So uh, Tim Pool made a great video about this, which I will try and paraphrase here. Um, there's an article in the New York Times that, that talked about this, that people were citing. And the first paragraph used to read, or one of the sentences used to read, 
Hillary Clinton waded into the Democratic primary on Friday by suggesting that Russia was backing Representative Tulsi Gabbard of Hawaii for president and that Russians were grooming her as a third party candidate. So everyone talked about, hey, Hillary said Russians are grooming her, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and which, which, by the way, that matches what she said. That's correct. Mm -hmm. New York Times stealth edited this. Yes. And they changed, um, uh, Russians were grooming her to Republicans were grooming her. And they didn't say that they changed it at all. And Tim Pool pointed out something that I think was brilliant because it's exactly what's going to happen. Um, people are going to say that Hillary said Russians groomed, Russians were grooming Tulsi. In months from now, someone's going to look it up one of these sites like Snopes or whatever, they're going to look it up and they're going to go to the New York Times article and they say, no, they didn't say that. They said it was Republicans. Fake news. Uh, Hillary didn't say that. Republicans, fake news. That's what they're going to do. And I think he's right. They are going to do that. Um, this is them trying to whitewash something egregious that Hillary said. That's so gross. They're just so gross. New York Times. Oh, guess what? So I was, I'm going to do this podcast for women's studies, like deconstructing women's studies. And uh, yeah, not that I want to, but I, someone asked me to do it and I feel this moral obligation to expose it for what it is. So I have to read this material again. Well, I'm going on these programs and looking at their syllabus and looking at their material and reading it again. And I, one of these classes at MIT, okay, women's studies class at MIT, some of the readings for their different weeks are links to opinion piece, lots of them are links to opinion pieces in the New York Times. Tons. And this is a college, MIT, where you're getting college credit to learn something in a class. And they're literally requiring reading opinion pieces in New York Times. This is how crappy women's studies is. Well, I mean, I, 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 the only way I'll push back on that a little bit is to say, that's what women's studies is actually. It's just not in the New York Times. It's all opinion pieces. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's just it's just people having opinions. There's no science behind any of it. It's true. It's it's like it's almost like speaking of flat earth, it's almost like they start off with this poor assumption about life in general and men in particular. And then they build on top of it. It's like saying the earth is flat and then going on from there and just talking all about the earth. But you've laid it out as flat <laughs> you can't you can't right. start there and they do they start there they start on this weird platform and they just have been building and building and you're like you guys you are just straight up crazy people you know yeah and it's and it's and it's never i've never read any of this even the even the post women's study, like the peggy mcintosh stuff about white privilege like none of it it's all just opinion pieces all of it it's just it's just some feminist writer and I don't know why, I don't even know why feminism or why women's studies is a subject, frankly, because there's there's no rigor to it. It's just, as long as they agree with each other, it's like if there's peer, peer review is not science. Mm -hmm. So like getting your friends to say that's a good book and now it's in part of a curriculum, that's not, that's yeah, not advancing knowledge of humankind. Well, the worst thing that university life has done is let women's studies become a quote unquote discipline. What they did is they let an activist movement gain credibility in an institution. And then from there, once you give it credibility, then they just run rampant. And the problem with them running rampant is they get to bully and elbow their way into 
any department they want by yelling all the ists. And, and right. so, right. So like the, the one thing that universities don't want is people protesting outside, especially the professors and the students protesting outside of their building. So of course they're going to give them whatever they want. It's like spoiled little children. Yeah. Yeah. And they, and they have an error legitimacy because they have long lists of citations for stuff that they, they write, but it's, they can citate, they can, they can cite stuff but that stuff is bunk. Like everything all the way down to the beginning is just yeah. opinion. It's it all is. just so I'm not surprised that it's like read this New York Times opinion piece. Frankly, yeah. I don't, it's not a lower standard. Well, you're you're not learning how to think critically, I'll tell you that much. I, I didn't I didn't learn that in my bachelor's degree for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, critical thinking is the uh is inimical to the left's agenda but they they don't teach critical thinking they think they teach thinking critical and they do use this word if you go onto any women's studies page that program on the website of this university it'll talk about critical thinking critically about society they don't say critical thinking they say thinking critically about society right which really means to critique based on your own feelings society well based on the glasses that they give you sure yes where you see everything as racial and gender. Right. Especially. Right. Um, you know, I, we've seen this in uh, like the more modern social justice stuff, but I'm curious about, uh, I'm curious about women's studies. Oh crap, I just totally lost my train of thought. Damn it. Mm. I had a really good question for you that you were gonna answer and it was gonna be brilliant, but I totally oh, forgot. Those. Maybe where it all started, <laughs> where, where it, uh, I don't know. Women's studies. It wasn't where it, wasn't where it all started. Um, well, the, the th- while you're thinking about it, the women's studies really gained a little bit of elbow or like a foot in the door because they were like, oh, let's talk about the history of the women's movement getting the right to vote. Oh, let's talk about these concrete practical things that happened in history. And we're glad they did because we're Western society and we celebrate progress and we celebrate equality and we celebrate. And so we have this cultural open-mindedness of yay, life is getting better, but that leads to corrosiveness if it's not contained because now it's just become this running rampant feeling of like everything is legitimate and everything is valid but that's how it got its foot in the door is like let's talk about history yeah i mean i would argue that that just belongs as part of history like let's make sure it's covered in history but it really doesn't need to be history separately it doesn't need to be a separate study um i know my question now though now though we're told that you people hear this now that logic and reason are tools of the of white patriarchy and oppression. Um, was there overt criticism of logic and reason as, as epistemological methods by women's studies? Yeah. Uh, yeah, not quite as badly as, as it is now, but partially that is because, um, it's turned into a racial thing. And so they're trying to make it that white people are logical and nobody else is. And which is supposed to be, by the way, an insult to white people. (laughs) Right. It, it's, it's an insult to everyone else, but that's the separate. Yeah. No, but to see, they, they explicitly say, we don't want to value what you value. So what they're doing is they're identity. So that's the goal. The goal is I don't want to value what the patriarchy values. So they've identified the patriarchy as white men, Christian white men, straight Christian white men. 
So they've looked at those particular types of people and they've looked at their cultural values like individualism and logic and open-mindedness, which is why they're closing their mind. They just can't say it out loud, but they are deciding those things are bad. And they're so, so they're trying to find ways of saying these things are bad in a way that sounds smart. So they're writing all of these academic papers with all of these fancy words that sound like haven't I convinced you? Logic is- They invent a lot of jargon, by the way, a lot of jargon. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're really good like at a, making up words. Yeah, I mean, I can, like, I can pick up a, I can pick up a, a PhD, like I can pick up a, an academic paper on some science subject that I don't know. And there will be fewer jargon words that I have to figure out in that paper than like a typical academic feminist paper or like some postmodernist scribbling. It's because you're reading a sacred text and you don't know it. Right. You, you need to be indoctrinated into the faith before you can fully understand the text. Or just don't bother. <laughs> in the text. Yeah. Uh, all right. What's what let's, we can, we can wind down here, guys. What else, what else do you want us to talk about people in chat? Um, Low res boy says the postmodern framework of thought is not natural to read and understand postmodern theories is in effect forcing you to think in a postmodern way and give credence to that framework. Yeah, I do think it is specifically written um, to confound your process of reasoning um, because it's not rational. Um, I don't know. What do you think, Gracie? Well, it is definitely a critique of uh, empiricism, like empirical studies, like you can know truth if you put it through a scientific rigor, um, or at least you can come close to it, or at least you can kind of try to find some, I don't know if consensus is the right word. I don't think scientists really use that word, but um, you can cross check it, right? But what postmodernists do is they don't like the enlightenment. They don't like that sense of um, confidence that you might be able to know something true, if something is true, or more true maybe than that. You know, you can kind of almost find your way in the dark with empirical enlightenment type thinking and logic and reason, but they decided to toss all of that out because they were disillusioned by it, frustrated by it, that they couldn't just pinpoint truth. Here it is, there it is, you know, it's a, it, you have to work. And so I think postmodernists have tossed the baby out with the bathwater because they don't, well, they don't like their father. They want to commit patricide, right. but they also are lazy and they don't want to do the work that it takes to actually find your way in the dark when it comes to truth. So yeah, well, he's, he's correct when he, he's pointing out this in the context of women's studies, because it is a mixture of postmodernism and critical theory. Right. Um, and I, it seems like it's also kind of a necessary if you if you want to control a population and get them to believe whatever you want, if that's your goal, what you need to do is undermine the idea that they can figure out things on their own. And so reason and logic are tools that empower individuals. Um, right? A a peasant can tell the king that two plus two is four, and if the king says two plus two is five, the king's still wrong because like reason can can be like universally seen and appealed to and you can make an argument that the king is wrong. So you have to undermine your ability to know anything on your own as an individual. And once you've done that, then you get people to accept, okay, now, now that you are unsure of your ability to know anything, now here are some experts and here's the mob to tell you what to think. And that's how you control people.
Yeah. And they don't, they poke holes in people's philosophy, their ideology, this whole enlightenment theory, or I mean, um, era, they poke holes in it. And then they simultaneously say, truth cannot be known. Nothing is believable. Trust me, believe me, believe what I'm saying is true. They simultaneously say nothing is true. Believe what I said is true. You know, some of the, I don't know if you feel this way, but to me, there's something really tragic about what's happened to philosophy in the last couple hundred years, actually, um, is it used to be a very practical thing, right? It, I think it was Staley's who was like, you know, people were challenged. Oh, he, people challenged him like, you know, philosophy is not practical. Why would you study this? And he made a bunch of money um, to prove that it was practical. He, uh, again, back then philosophy involved science and stuff, but he, he, he predicted that um, he used his knowledge of, of weather and stuff to predict that there was going to be uh, an abundant harvest of olives. So he pre-rented all the olive presses for making olive oil and then rented them out at a exorbitant fee the next season when indeed there was large demand for this. And he did this to prove that philosophy was practical. Um, but I, I think you know, philosophy should be very practical, but it's it got at some point it became completely detached from any consequences of reality. And you had people say things like like even to say what you're saying, um, you can't know anything. Trust me, that should be dismissed out of hand as a retarded thing to say. It's self contradictory. It blows up your entire argument. We, we shouldn't be studying people whose philosophic foundations are based on there is no objective truth now i'm going to tell you what's true that's that's a farce the whole thing is bull crap and no wonder people don't respect philosophy anymore but that's the kind of crap that this is built on it's all built on stuff that if you explained the basics to a five-year-old they would laugh at you mm-hmm. yeah it's true <laughs> You crack me up when you use the R word because I'm telling you, you're triggering this former SJW. Actually, I, I love the R word. I love saying retarded. You know what? I trigger myself every time I say guys for to a room of girl women or, or even mixed crowd. And I keep doing it and I, ca- and I catch myself and I try to say something else. And then I stop and I don't say something else because I'm retraining my brain. <laughs> I'm like, I will refer to all of you women as guys and just suck it up. <laughs> I will say retarded. Because I wouldn't, I wouldn't be derogatory towards an actual person with mental disability, but, uh, you know, it's a way to, it's a, it's a derogatory shortcut for having a mental disability and, uh, people who actually have mental disabilities don't deserve to be treated, uh, poorly, but these assholes developing this crappy philosophy, they're retards and they're they need act- to be they, they are acting like they're mentally challenged. That is definitely for sure. Yeah they are mentally challenged because they they've decided to get rid of anything that would help them actually think. <laughs> well, it's, sometimes I wonder how much of it is actual, their cognitive ability or just psychological drivers, right? We, we like some kind of trauma or some kind of psychology that forces them to, you know, that encourages them to go down this crazy path of proposing ridiculousness. But, um, well, it, it, you know, like when you're talking about trust, it is religious in nature, this philosophy that what, what has, what you would call SJW, their mindset has turned into a religious philosophy. And so when people are saying, this is true, just trust me, it's easy to do when you need a moral framework. And my, my real belief is that people are religious by nature. People are 
<clears throat> people, uh, and what I mean by religious is they need a moral setting. They need a setting where morality is explicitly stated and there's expectations for it. And in a society where, and, and it's not just explicitly stated, but there's a source of authority, right? So there's a source of authority that's telling you an explicitly moral truth, and this is how you operate in it. People need that. I, it's a human phenomenon. But society has become so fractured or so, well, multicultural. And, you know, nobody knows what they're doing, especially kids that are raised in secular homes, because they haven't been explicitly told, like, this is our framework. <clears throat> and so I think they grasp onto this secular religion really easily. It's just it's, out there. It's available at university. It's legitimate. Yeah. I mean, obviously, as an atheist, I disagree with some of the, that, but I, but not as much as you might think. And it's a question that I've been struggling with because um, when, I, when I look at it in the world and I see atheists, most of them are uh, resentful Marxists who are like they're, they, they've got a void. They don't know, like they, they're, they're susceptible to all this bad ideology. I, I totally agree. And I see it, and um, I don't know. I think I think what happened is atheism. Atheism. This is the problem. Not believing in God doesn't solve anything. It's just a non-belief. And if you if it's not replaced with a very carefully thought out intentional moral system, um, then you're susceptible to anything. Because I think people do need moral guidance in some way. And I think a lot of people that were raised in secular homes, I see this both where people were raised in religious homes and then they, for whatever reason, they decide to abandon their religion, but they don't replace it with any, like literally nothing. They replace it with like, I don't know, the best good for all the people. What does CNN say, right? They just like, mm -hmm. they replace it with whatever is kind of around them um, but, and they don't like, really don't... have principles. I'm sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. No, no, it's okay. And then, and then, uh, but I also see it in kids that are raised in secular homes, like you're saying, because I think they're raised by secular parents who also just are rudderless. They don't have any sort of um, any sort of understanding of principles and, and an organized approach to the world and why things, why they believe what they believe that's, that's defensible yeah. in some way. Um, and it took me a while to figure that out because as, an, as someone who became an atheist, I spent a lot of time replacing my belief system very intentionally. And so um, I don't have that void. I don't feel like I'm rudderless. Maybe I'm deluding myself, but I don't, don't feel like I'm rudderless. I don't, but a lot of people, I think I just look and I see that they are, they don't know what to believe. Right. I mean, they haven't been told you have this sort of <clears throat> space in your human awareness that needs filling. And we're going to take away the one that's been there traditionally and um, have a good life. Right. Good luck, kid. It's like, oh, wow. I feel like I, I might be floating out in the universe without any boundaries. It's very, it's as, it's a existential, it's as existentially scary. So I think, have you heard about Dr. Peterson talking about Christian atheists and I, I don't know really what that term means. So maybe I think I've what it means. It. I think what it means is people who are atheists who operate in a moral framework of Christianity because they are Western. So it, there's almost okay. this like a cultural Christian, but they're atheist type of is how I would describe it. So it makes sense when you're an atheist in a Western culture and you're not becoming an SJW because you've almost adopted these rules like do not murder, do not 
cheat, do not steal. You've you've adopted these basic mor- framework of morality, and and what is authoritative is the culture itself saying this is how we operate. We have rules and laws, but when you're when you're in a university and they throw postmodernism at you and they and then they start questioning your father, you know, they start questioning all of this Judeo-Christian crap and all the laws that were built on it and all the white people who think they started math, but they didn't. And so pretty soon you're just like disoriented in the world and you do, you feel like you're floating out into outer space and, but, oh, guess what? They're right here to save you. They've got an ideology right here. It's prepackaged. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. I think, um, I don't, sometimes I'm confused about how Jordan uses the word Christian. Um, so I'm not always I'm not always clear what he's meaning when he says Christian, um, because you know thou shalt not murder is a Christian tenant, but it's not unique. Almost every culture has a version of don't murder people. Um, so I you know as an atheist, I think you can derive a very similar set of values to. I mean, look, a, a lot of the philosophers. I mean, so, here's why I'll say this: I see a lot of atheists that are good atheists simply replace a lot of the rights created by God with natural law arguments. And you might not agree with natural law arguments, um, but that at least they're clear about like, okay, yeah. here's what we think. Yeah. Here's where, this is what we think makes sense. It makes sense to us. And they kind of end up on the same page as a lot but, of the and I think that's, Western stuff. But I think that's what Jordan Peterson is pointing to is that you, you know, there is that, um, substitute for this idea of God giving you those rights, but the framework is still there. And it's, yeah, you end up in this a similar place because it's cultural. Yeah. It's a cult. You're living in a culturally Christian environment. And so that's what he would call Christian atheist basically. Right. And, and that makes sense, but there's very few of those people. Most atheists are, uh, I mean, honestly, I think most atheists are Marxists. I don't know if there's data on this, but like they, they often seem to be, bitter, resentful, damaged Marxists with a lot of anger. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I would prefer to hang around with Christians. Yay. I like you. <laughs> I don't care. I like you despite your atheism. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and your R word. You'll get over the R word. You'll come to, I'm going to get you to say retarded someday derogatorily. I don't know if I can. I have a severely disabled nephew and I just, I don't know. I don't know. Can't get me to do it. All right. Well, I'm still going to work on it. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. I'll I'll still try to convince you that Jesus Christ is Lord. All right. Those will be our goals, our mutual goals. Okay. (laughs) sounds a lot more noble, but you know. (laughs) Well, that's because I'm a Christian. I'm trying to get you to say something nasty. (laughs) You know, now we know who's better, atheist or Christian. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, all right. Well, anything else from the people in chat today? Um, This has been a lot of fun. Gracie, thank you for, for doing this. Yeah, um, thanks for having me. I think we'll have Gracie co-host uh, a couple times a month, so you'll see Gracie around a little bit more, um, so Carrie can get some days off and uh, bring questions. Gracie's got, you know, Gracie's got deep knowledge. Like I said at the beginning, she's got deep knowledge of women's studies and and actually, I think critical theory and some of the postmodern philosophy as well. So if you've got interesting questions for her, you want stuff you want to talk about. Um, you know, next time we announce that she's going to be a, a guest host, come with those questions. So, yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to be diving into all that crap soon too. So I might even have it sitting on my desk. <laughs> I, you know what, that's, uh, 
that's tough stuff to read. I've tried to read some of it sometimes and it is, uh, you just want to shoot yourself. I just, I hate it so much. I can't tell you, but you know, I've had enough followers on my channel that say, you just have to go after this. If anyone can do it, you can. And, and I, and I know other people could too, but it's like, and I, and I don't think I'm the smartest human on earth, but it's like, I've been formally trained in this for six years and I absolutely despise all of the rhetoric. I hate the fact that they all say the same words and they just pick a different word like math, you know, right. it drives, it just drives me nuts, but, um, it has to be gone after. And, and if I can help, I will. So, yeah. So how can, by the way, you reminded me, cause you mentioned your YouTube channel. I'll put the link to your YouTube channel in the summary of this video. Um, and what's the best way for people to follow you online? Um, I have a channel embarrassing mom here on YouTube and I have a book that just went on Amazon. It's a red pill fiction novel. Oh, uh, it's for, out. Well, it's, it's, it's actually not released. It's on pre-sale. So you would okay. go to Amazon. It's called breathing in water by Gracie West. It's a red pill fiction novel, but it also deals with issues of consciousness. Like what is consciousness and human awareness and experience. And it's, it's a little bit of a spiritual take on things as well. But yeah, I, um, I wanted to have these conversations in my head of this SJW voice with this conservative, you know, your, our father, you know, our rescuing our father's voice. And I wanted those to be in conversation, but frankly, these days people just call each other names. So it was happening in my head. And then I realized I have a story developing in my head of these two characters. So I just sort of wrote it down and, um, Anyway, if you'd like to purchase it, it would support me. It's $3.99. And if you, even if you don't want to read it, <laughs> it's $3.99 on Amazon right now. It's a pre-order. It comes out Valentine's Day. If you want the physical copy, you got to wait till Valentine's Day to buy it. But you can follow me on readgracywest.com. Subscribe to my email list and I will send you a notification when it's out. Um, I don't like Twitter or Facebook much. I'm on there. I think it's at readgracywest and at Twitter. Um, Instagram, I like, I think it's called one embarrassing mom, number one. Okay. I will put all that stuff. I'll put all that stuff in the links below so people can earn the summary so people can just go there directly. And now that I know your book is, I guess, not quite out, but almost out. Uh, I want to have you back to talk about your book, Okay. Um, but yeah. I want to read it first. So yeah, totally. when, when's it, when's the Kindle edition out? Well, it, all of it releases on Valentine's Day, but you can order it now. So the, the good news about for me about people ordering it before it's released is the day that it gets released, Amazon uploads all of those sales all at the same time on the very first day. And it tells the algorithm, look, bestseller right here on the very first day, there was 100 copies sold. You know, ideally it would say that. Right. And then what it does is it makes it more visible for people on Amazon. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Well, yeah. so go do that. I'll put the, I'll put the link to her book also thank in you the, in the show notes so uh thanks again gracie uh yeah. really appreciate you being here thanks for having me and i hope carrie feels better soon and um and i enjoy your show a lot so thanks for having me well um i enjoy it as well and I'm, i enjoy you you being here so thank you to everyone for supporting us thank you for following please don't forget to like share subscribe all that stuff really helps us um we're almost at 2000 subscribers on YouTube, but uh, we kind of stalled around 1964 or something like that. So uh, let's help us, help us get to 2000 and um, really appreciate again, all the people on Subscribestar who are uh, actively, actively supporting us on uh, with your, with your money. So appreciate it. And uh, I guess 
that's it. We'll see you Monday. All right. Take care.